We've now looked at three things in connection with God's covenant with David. First, we looked at the promises that God fulfilled to his people under David that he had made in uh, speaking to Abraham and also to Israel at Mount Sinai. Then we looked at 2 Samuel 7, where God actually made his covenant with David. And we also have looked now at Psalm 89, where that covenant with David is celebrated. I want to do one more thing about that covenant with David. And what I want to do is review the history of that covenant with David in the books of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, and also the uh, prophecies regarding that covenant with David that we find in um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and even some of the minor prophets. So that's our, our goal for today, those two things. Review the history of the uh, covenant with David after David's time, especially, and then look at how the prophets speak of that covenant with David. In First and Second Samuel, uh, we are shown how God chose David, preserved him, exalted him, and made his covenant with him in fulfillment of his covenant with Abraham, that kings would come from him. And that's all we need to say, I think, about First and Second Samuel here. In First and Second Kings, which follow immediately upon First and Second Samuel, historically speaking, we have the history of Solomon and the rest of the kings of Israel and Judah. And what we find in the first ten chapters of First Kings is all about Solomon, Solomon's wisdom, Solomon's glory, Solomon's work of building his temple and uh, building the temple of the Lord, and so on. And in 1 Kings chapter 8, we have uh, Solomon uh, uh, blessing the people and praying to the Lord in connection with his uh, building of the temple, at the dedication of the temple. And here in these um, uh, two acts of Solomon, his blessing of the people and his prayer to God, he makes references to the covenant God made with his fathers. So let's look at some of that material first. Verses 16 to 21 of 1 Kings 8, first of all. And this is part of his blessing of the people. Since the day that I brought my people out of Israel out of Egypt, I have chosen no city from any tribe of Israel in which to build a house that my name might be there. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. Solomon is quoting uh, the words of the Lord here. Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the temple, but your son who will come from your body, he shall build the temple for my name. So the Lord has fulfilled his word which he spoke, and I have filled the position of my father David and sit on the throne of Israel, as the Lord promised, and I have built a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. And there I have made a place for the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord, which he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. So Solomon is referring back to Second Samuel 7, actually and to the covenant that God had made with David. And he said what God had 
told David in his covenant with him, I have now accomplished according to his promise. In verses 23 to 26, which is part of his uh, prayer of thanksgiving uh, to God, he um, also makes reference to the covenant with David. Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept what you promised your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David, my father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel, only if your sons take heed to their way that they walk before me as you have walked before me. And now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. So Solomon makes reference to some promises made to David which have been fulfilled, especially the building of the house and a son to sit on David's throne. But he also prays about the fulfillment of the additional promise that he would have a son to sit on his throne forever. God responded to this prayer of Solomon in 1 Kings 9, verses 3 to 9. I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me. I have consecrated this house which you have built to put my name there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Now if you walk before me as your father David walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. And then he gives the negative side of this in uh, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9, which I will not read at this point. So there's the fulfillment of the promise to David, the first part of the fulfillment of the promise to David. But when we turn over to 1 Kings chapter 11, we find that Solomon began to be unfaithful to the Lord. He married many wives of the nations around, and uh, these wives turned Solomon's heart away from the Lord. Verse 3, his wives turned away his heart, for it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon began to commit idolatry. He forsook the covenant of the Lord. And the Lord then brought judgment on him because of this. So we find in verses 32 and following that uh, God tore part of the kingdom away from David. He tore away from the house of David ten tribes of Israel and gave them to Jeroboam the son of Nebat, leaving only the tribes of Judah and Benjamin to be with Solomon, or to be with Solomon's son, Rehoboam, rather. 
But nevertheless, even in this judgment that God brought on Solomon, he kept his covenant. And that's what we read about in verses 32 and following. He shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. So God will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, verse 34, because I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose because he kept my commandments and my statutes. So God is bringing judgment. And this is the beginning, actually, of the decline of God's covenant with David throughout the Old Testament history. You have periods of reformation under the godly kings of Judah, like Jehoshaphat and Hezekiah and Josiah. But overall, the trend of the nation of Israel is downward to more and more wickedness, to more and more forsaking of the Lord and violation of his covenant, until finally they end up in the captivity in Babylon. In fact, this decline of the nation of Israel really did not reverse until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I think we may look at that decline of the Old Testament covenant with David in light of Hebrews chapter 8, uh, verses 7 and 13. In verse 7, God is talking, or the, the apostle is talking about the Old Testament covenant. And he says, if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for the second. Because finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And then, then in verse 13, he concludes in this way, in that, in that he says, God says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. I think we see the beginning of the obsolescence of the Davidic covenant already be, uh, with Solomon and Solomon's unfaithfulness to the Lord. Now what we find then after Solomon is in the books of Kings, 1st and 2nd Kings, is that that record of their history is all about how they kept or transgressed the covenant of God. And almost all the king's reigns during that period following Solomon are compared to the reign of David, either favorably or unfavorably, with that reign of David. Many times it's very unfavorable, of course, and yet God continues throughout the books of Kings also to make references to the everlasting character of his covenant with David and continues to say that he will not break that covenant that he made with David. Let's just look at a few passages. 1 Kings 15, verse 4 about the rule of Abijam in Judah, 1 Kings 15, verse 4. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him and by establishing uh, Jerusalem. 
So there's one reference to the fact that God did not um, forsake his covenant. 2 Kings 8 verse 19 is another reference. This is uh, about the the king, another king of Judah, much later, Jehoram. And of Jehoram, we read, Jehoram was a very wicked king. In fact, he was... um, connected through marriage uh, with the house of Ahab in Israel, and he acted like the kings of Israel rather than like David, his father. 1 Kings 8, verse 19, Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for the sake of his servant David, as he promised him to give a lamp to him and his sons forever. And then let's look at just one more passage in 2 Kings Chapter 20, verse 6. And this is um, part of the word of the Lord to Hezekiah in his illness. A word brought to him by the prophet Isaiah. I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. So that history and kings is all about how various kings kept or did not keep the covenant of the Lord. But over against that is set the truth that God maintained his covenant with David. He continued to give him a lamp uh, to maintain his line so that eventually Christ could come. Let's uh, turn now to the books of Chronicles. What we find in Chronicles is is very similar in that respect to what we find in Kings. And so we're going to look just at uh, three passages in Chronicles. Second Chronicles 13, verse 5. And this is about Abijah in Judah. And Abijah is here speaking to Jeroboam, the king of Israel, and to the people of Israel. And he says to them, Should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the dominion over Israel to David forever, to him and his sons, by a covenant of salt. So uh, Abijah is saying to Israel, you should be uh, subject to me, because the Lord gave the dominion over Israel to David by a covenant of salt. In Second Chronicles 21, we have another, other references to the covenant. Second Chronicles 21, verse 7, first of all. This is about the time of Jehoshaphat. Uh, of Jehoram again, I'm sorry, about Jehoram. Second Chronicles 21, verse 7. Yet the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David, and since he had promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons, forever. And in verse 17 again, and here is how the Lord judged Jehoram for his wickedness. They came up into Judah, that's the Philistians, Philistines and Arabians. They came up into Judah and invaded it and carried away all the possessions that were found in the king's house and also his sons and his wives, so that there was not a son left to him except Jehoahaz the youngest of his sons. So the Lord is still faithful to his covenant. He leaves one son of Jehoram, 
who becomes the next king in David's line. And finally, 2 Chronicles 23, verse 3. Then all the assembly made a covenant with the king in the house of God. This is at the time of uh, Josiah, of Joash, who was anointed at eight years old by Jehoiada the priest. And we read there, Then all the assembly made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And he said to them, Behold, the king's son shall reign as the Lord has said of the sons of David. So that's just a brief, very brief overview of that history of the kings from Solomon to the end of the uh, land of Judah in the Babylonian captivity. What I want to do now then is turn to the prophets. And first of all, I want to look at some prophecies in Isaiah. There is, first of all, in Isaiah, we're only referring to a few passages, but there's, first of all, in Isaiah, that very famous prophecy of Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That is a prophecy about uh, Christ himself, of course, a prophecy which we celebrate uh, often at Christmas time in the um, listening to Handel's Messiah. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And it's talking about the fulfillment of God's promise to David. And it's talking about how great this king, who is descended from David, will be. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In Isaiah 16, verse 5, we have another prophecy that relates to David. In mercy, the throne will be established, and one will sit on it in truth, in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking justice and hastening righteousness. Now, this just simply refers to a king who will sit on David's throne, and that's obviously Christ again. But the importance of this reference here is that it associates David's throne with his tabernacle, with the house of God, where the ark of God was. And that ark of God was God's throne. He was enthroned above the cherubim. And we see a picture of that in the first verses of Isaiah chapter 6. And this throne of David then is associated with that throne of God in the tabernacle, And it's said that one who descends from the house of David will sit on that throne of David in the tabernacle of David, in the house of God. He will sit, in fact, on God's throne. But this is also then a fulfillment of the promise to Abraham 
I will be your God, and the fulfillment of that promise to Israel at Mount Sinai when he came and set up his house among them and lived in that house among his people. Isaiah 22, verses 20 to 23. Isaiah 22, verses 20 to 23. Then it shall be in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. And Eliakim was the man who replaced Shebna as the master of Hezekiah's house. And Shebna was removed for sins that he had committed. But God here then uh, speaks regarding Eliakim, a man as far as we know, not associated with the house of David, except through this fact that he was over that house. He's not part of the line of David, as far as we know. But God makes promises. And notice the promises that he makes. I will clothe him with your robe, that is Shebna's robe, and strengthen him with your belt. I will commit your responsibility into his hand. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to the house of David. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder, so he shall open, and no one shall shut, and he shall shut, and no one shall open. I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place, and he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. They will hang on him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the posterity, and so on. And this is also prophetic in a different way of our Lord Jesus Christ when he says in verse 22, the key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder. I think that's a an Old Testament reference to our Lord's um, words to his apostles in Matthew uh, chapter 18 when he says, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And he says even in connection with those keys, when you shut, no one will open. And when you open, no one will shut. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And there is reference also to the throne. He will become a glorious throne to his father's house. That's a very interesting um, reference to the covenant with David and to the fulfillment of that covenant in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, in the prophecy of Isaiah Chapter 55, verses 1 to 4. And here we have the call of the gospel uh, phrased in terms of a metaphor. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And then these words, And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. 
So God promises an everlasting covenant with his people, with those who uh, answer the call of the gospel. And that covenant will be the sure mercies of David. And there will be a leader and commander from the house of David for the people. And this leader and commander will have as subjects not only Jews, but also uh, Gentiles. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you. So these Gentiles then are brought into the kingdom of David and subject to the Davidic king, the king who sits on David's throne. Let's turn now to the prophecy of Jeremiah. And I want again to look at three passages there in the prophecy of Jeremiah. First of all, Jeremiah 17, verses 24 to 26. And it shall be, if you heed me carefully, says the Lord, to bring no burden through the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but hallow the Sabbath day to do no work in it. Then shall enter the gates of this city kings and princes sitting on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their princes accompanied by the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And this city shall remain forever. And they shall come from the cities of Judah and from the places around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin and from the lowland, from the mountains and from the south, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and incense, bringing sacrifices of praise to the house of the Lord. And here I think we should notice that God promises kings to sit on the throne of David if the people keep his Sabbaths and when he fulfills this covenant, when the kings come, then the people will also bring the sacrifices commanded by the law of Moses. So there is reference here to the law of Moses, the Sabbath day and the sacrifices from the law of Moses. And these are going to be continued as long as the kings and the people remain faithful to the Lord. They did not, of course, and the Lord uh, removed the kings of David after Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, but did not break his covenant with David because Christ came from him eventually. And Christ is the one who, who brings the proper keeping of the Sabbath and who brings the, uh, to fulfillment all the sacrifices of Moses and enables us in the New Testament to bring those sacrifices in righteousness. In Jeremiah 22 Verses 3 to 5, we have another reference to God's covenant with David. Thus says the Lord, execute judgment and righteousness and deliver the plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Do no wrong and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, or the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if you indeed do this thing, then shall enter the gates of this house, riding on horses and in chariots, accompanied by servants and people, kings who sit on the throne of David. But if you will not hear these words, I swear by myself, says the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. Now there's great similarity with the uh, passage in Jeremiah 17 that we were just talking about. But that passage talked about the Sabbath and the bringing of sacrifices. This talks about the king and his functions. Execute judgment and righteousness. Deliver the plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. And so on. 
So this is talking about the king being faithful. And if the king is faithful, then the Lord will give them kings to sit on the throne of David. Um, in chapter 33, verses 15 to 18, we have another reference to the covenant with David. In those days and at that time I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called the Lord our righteousness. There's a prophecy of Christ again. I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. Christ is the branch. And I think that Jeremiah is here referring to Isaiah chapter 11, the first uh, verses of that chapter. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. So Christ is that branch who comes from the root of David and fulfills the promises of God. But what you have here in Jeremiah 33 verses 15 and following, is reference also to the Levites. So if you go on in verses 17 and 18, For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, nor shall the priests, the Levites, lack a man to offer burnt offerings before me, to kindle grain offerings, and to sacrifice continually. And these priests and Levites are the people of God in the New Testament who are all anointed to be priests in Christ and who are therefore authorized to bring the sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise to God, to offer their bodies as living sacrifices to him. So those are the passages in Jeremiah. Now, just a few other passages from the rest of the Old Testament prophets First of all, Ezekiel, chapter 37, verses 24 to 28. Ezekiel 37, verses 24 to 28. David, my servant, shall be king over them. God is talking about Christ, and he gives him the name David. David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. And they shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt. And they shall dwell there, they, their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Now, notice a couple of things. First of all, there's reference to older covenants, the tabernacle, and I will be their God. Those are references to Mount Sinai and to the Abrahamic covenant. The multiplying them is another reference to the Abrahamic covenant. His covenant of peace he will make with them, but he's also going to give them a king 
and a shepherd this time. Notice the emphasis on the shepherd here in Ezekiel. This is characteristic of Ezekiel. He emphasizes not so much the um, the justice of the king as the shepherding care of the king. So we have them then under this shepherd, whom God will give them, uh, walking in God's judgments and observing his statutes and doing them. Christ bringing to his people the fulfillment of the promises and enabling them to keep covenant with God, sanctifying them by his presence among them. Hosea chapter 3, verse 5, is the next verse that we want to look at. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. That's another prophecy about Christ. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Amos 9, verses 11 and 12. On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruin, ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. So God here says he's going to raise up the tabernacle of David, he's going to repair its damages, And he's going to make that tabernacle of David then possess the remnant of Edom and the Gentiles who are called by my name. That is, he's going to bring the Gentiles into this tabernacle of David under that reign of David and under the reign of the one who sits on the throne of God in that tabernacle. James, the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, cites this passage in Acts chapter 15. At Acts chapter 15, we have the record of the Jerusalem Council, where the apostles and elders in Jerusalem decided the question whether the Gentiles should be circumcised or not. And James quotes from this prophecy of Amos. If you look at verses 13 and following, And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and we will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. So James takes this passage from Amos chapter 9, and he says, this question is resolved of whether the Gentiles should be circumcised is resolved by this prophecy in Amos. Because God says there in Amos that he's going to bring the Gentiles into his house. He's going to bring the Gentiles, implied, is he's going to bring the Gentiles as Gentiles into his house. They will not have to become Jews. So that all the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name. 
a very important prophecy about the, the Gentiles and the coming of the Gentiles into the house of God, to be among the people of God, to be one with the Jews, the believing Jews who are the people of God. Then finally in Zechariah, one more reference to the prophets of the Old Testament. The Lord will save the tents of Judah, so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall not become greater than that of Judah. In that day the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The one who is feeble among them in that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. This is in Zechariah 12, verses 7 and following. And I'm continuing to read now at verse 10. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Notice the reference to the Holy Spirit there, who was poured out on the church of our Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. And that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem. So there's prophecy of the come of the crucifixion of Christ. There's a prophecy of the coming of the Spirit. And this in connection with the fulfillment of the covenant with David. The house of David is going to be exalted to be like God and like the angel of the Lord before them. And this is exactly what happened in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in his exaltation to the right hand of the throne of God. And going on then into Zechariah 13 verse 1, In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for uncleanness. A very clear reference to the atoning work of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was done for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And the inhabitants of that house are believing Jews and also Gentiles, according to Zechariah chapter 12, Amos 9, and other prophecies of the Old Testament. So what I've tried to do here in this session is show you that, first of all, in the history of Kings and Chronicles, you see the decline of the um, people of God into greater and greater apostasy until finally God takes them out of the land he promised them, removes the king from the throne of David, and renounces, in a certain sense, his covenant with David, as we saw in Psalm 89. But in the prophets, what we see is God picking up this theme of the covenant he made with David and and placing it all into the New Testament period, showing us its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see the rise and fall of the house of David in the history, and in the prophets, the restoration of that house of David in our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look at that restoration of the house of David in our Lord Jesus Christ, we see that God wraps up into 
that restoration of the house of David, the fulfillment also of his covenant with Abraham and his covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai. And he brings into that house of David the Gentiles. So as we have looked at this Old Testament history of God's covenants, we've seen the continuity of these covenants. We've seen how succeeding covenants fulfill promises of older covenants and how they also then point to future covenants and how ultimately all of them point to our Lord Jesus Christ so that our Lord Jesus Christ is the culmination of the fulfillment of God's promises in all of these covenants. The covenants are all really one covenant and God is just opening up the riches of that covenant stage by stage throughout the history of the Old Testament. That's the significance of Old Testament history. God's unfolding of his covenant of grace with his people and all the glories and riches of that covenant in Christ. And that's the covenant he has made with us. That's the new covenant, what we call the covenant of grace in our Lord Jesus Christ made with us of which Christ himself spoke when he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. May God bless you with his word.